Welcome to another edition of Global Lithium Q&A, where I take your questions about the lithium industry, and from time to time, we bring in guests to talk about issues of the day. Good morning from Seoul, South Korea. I have been here all week. I've been in Japan and Korea all week, and uh, I just thought I'd put out uh, a brief podcast with some thoughts about what I learned this week. But before that, answer a listener, a couple of listeners' questions about two announcements, or an earnings call and an announcement, the SQM earnings call and the Galaxy announcement about Sol DeVita. On the SQM earnings call, I think in, in summary, it, it was really a non-event. Uh, price kind of moved around to where they uh, indicated it would, and that's largely on the back of the average price moving down based on selling large volumes at low prices to China. And I think largely that's because they have some quality issues they're trying to deal with, and the, the market that can take that quality is China. Um, so we'll get in a little bit more about what I heard about SQM in Japan and Korea in the second segment of this podcast. but. Uh, I think they also talked about getting to uh, 120,000 metric tons of capacity by the second half of 2021. I don't believe that will happen. Uh, I believe they will expand and continue to expand, but I believe, as their recent track record indicates, they will underperform their targets. It's just kind of become the way uh, the their performance stacks up against what they uh, state as objectives. And that isn't really a shot. It's more just a statement of fact. Uh, so uh, again, SQM, best to better to just look at the data uh, and what the, what they published and draw your own conclusions because there wasn't a lot of insight given on the call. As far as Galaxy goes, they put out a kind of a scaled back a minimalist project for Sol DeVita making product that is called primary grade, which basically means uh, you can't sell it to the battery market grade. I'm not sure why you'd want to do that uh, because it's not going to be easy for them to take that product later on and create a, a unit that will make it into battery grade. There are challenges of making battery grade at, at the top of the Puna. But, uh, I mean, obviously, uh, FMC did it for years. Uh, Oracle Brace struggled. But uh, uh, I think what they're doing is better than not doing anything. But I think it's just kind of another disappointment of how Saldivy just played out. But uh, I'm hopeful that uh, they will execute according to their stated plan and wish them the best with trying to turn primary grade into battery grade later on. And with that, I will give you my insights on what I learned this week in just a second. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Icebreaker, the New Zealand company that brings you the best and most comfortable merino wool garments on the planet. Regarding my uh, trip to Japan and Korea this week, uh, I'll talk about the topic of high nickel transition, price, and uh, just some comments on what I heard about uh, quality. 
As far as high nickel transition, I was asked to present my deck uh, in multiple places. And I show in 2025 carbonates still being larger than hydroxide. I expected and even asked for pushback on that. And I really didn't get that much because not because people necessarily have a strong opinion. It's because they believe it sitting where we are in November of 2019. They still don't know yet. Everybody agrees, as as I do, that uh, high nickel is growing relatively quickly and hydroxide is growing faster than carbonate. But it's a matter of degrees. And nobody seemed to be willing to say, oh, you're wrong, that we know hydroxide will be bigger than carbonate or a larger part of the market in 2025. So that is a, an ongoing discussion I'll have as I make trips next year. But uh, I just want to reiterate that um, significant capacity has been built to make high nickel. Uh, that is without a doubt, but how fast it's implemented uh, is is still really kind of uh, uncertain and in up for grabs. On pricing, I present my deck that you know I haven't updated in six months, and you know, I expected real pushback on that because you know right now prices are a couple thousand uh, a ton in some cases lower than what I call the new normal of 12 uh, to 14,000 a ton for uh, battery quality carbonate. What really kind of surprised me in the discussions that I had were, and these, these are people that had been used to talking to me before in the context of me uh, in the old days coming over to negotiate agreements uh, contracts, whether long-term or short-term. So normally price discussion is nobody's going to say, hey, I think the price is going to go up because they didn't want to go there. In this particular case, it was very interesting that it's a very mixed bag about what people think price is going to do in 2020. Some think we might be at the bottom. Some think it'll go a little lower. But I think the real important point is that people buy into the argument that longer term uh, price is going to be higher than where it is today. They understand that the cost curve for the growing market doesn't support low pricing because the high end of the cost curve uh, isn't going to support a market price for an extended period of, say, 8000 a ton for lithium carbonate. It just won't do it. And I think people were you know, prescient enough to acknowledge that, you know, probably the long-term future of lithium price is uh, over 10,000 for lithium carbonate. A uh, bigger question that would come up is, is, you know, the hydroxide premium, will it exist? Will it not exist? People didn't take strong positions on that, but clearly understand that uh, long-term as more and more, uh, of the hydroxide capacity is hard rock based, that there really isn't a logical uh, need for the premium out there. Uh, so price, I think, uh, you know, we don't have a clear, a clear opinion on 2020, but we have a clear opinion that after 2020 price is probably going to be higher than it is today and, and possibly substantially higher depending on, on growth. Uh, so the, the, 
those two topics I'll leave at that short summary because there just isn't clarity or consensus, I would say. What I heard on quality was pretty interesting. And um, having spent most of my life as an employee, that when I was traveling over here, I was an employee of FMC Lithium. Uh, we were known for our hydroxide quality. Uh, the new Livent strategy was really predicated on both their quality and there being a premium. Uh, and I think there's been turns on both counts. Uh, it was really to a, to a company that I talked to that said that now Gangfen is considered the gold standard in lithium hydroxide and that some of the other players are struggling and that Livent in particular uh, is not is stable, high quality as it was in the past. So I think, you know, I mean, that's that's really kind of an important transition. Uh, I also heard on the carbonate side that, you know, SQM has had some struggles uh, in, at the high end. And, you know, I think if we go back to where we started this short episode of the podcast, it was that a lot more products being sold in China recently. I think there's a reason for that. And I think the reason is... Uh, it's, it's much harder to play the game in Japan and Korea where the quality uh, requirements are much more stringent. And if you have even short-term issues, you're going to hear about them and, you, you know, you may lose some share on along the way. So those are my major takeaways. I'm going to end this here uh, and say we'll see you next time. This has been another episode of Global Lithium Q&A. For more on the lithium industry, you can follow me on Twitter, at Global Lithium, on LinkedIn, where I've published more than 100 articles on the lithium space, or at www.lithiumpodcast.com for the Global Lithium Podcast, which I co-host with Emily Hirsch, and it's also available on most major podcast outlets. Once again, thanks for listening.